Well, thank you very much. Uh, good morning, New Life. Uh, I'm not sure if Jason introduced himself just then, uh, but this is Jason uh, presiding for this week and next week. Um, but I do want to welcome you guys to New Life this morning. Uh, we are a community that gathers together for the glory of God and the gospel of grace. Uh, my name is Young, as uh, mentioned by Jason, and uh, it's my delight to welcome you to the final week of the First Corinthians series. And so we've been going through uh, since last August uh, in kind of different sections uh, with the overarching theme of unity. And we've gone through a few sub-themes as well uh, all throughout uh, of being one in mind, of being one in body, one in heart, and finally, uh, this section has been one in resurrection. And it's all available on the New Life YouTube if uh, you did want to go back and uh, look through uh, or review. Now, before we get into the final message of 1 Corinthians, how about a pray for us, and then we'll get into that message. Father, we gather together this morning and we want to continue to love you more, we want to continue to seek you more, and indeed we know that it can only go by the way that we first came to know and love you, by receiving your love first. Would you help us, Lord, as we prayed in the pre-service prayer time, would you help us, Lord, to rewind back and to think back to everything that you've been doing, not just through this week, but throughout our lifetimes, even before uh, we ourselves might have known you, you knew us. You led us, you've been walking with us, you love us. And indeed, you made the greatest sacrifice of all to bring us into your fold, to carry us upon your shoulders so that we might know you. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to open up our hearts to receive your love, because only in doing this can we love you and can we love those around us. Would you help us, Lord, in all the plans that we make, that we would turn them back to you, that we would hear from you, and that we would be seeking to carry out your will here on earth. We pray that you would guide us in our word this morning, that as we read through this word and as we hear this sermon, that you would help us to receive what it is that you've prepared for us, so that we might grow in wisdom and we might let this wisdom carry out uh, all the way to completion in our lives, so that we might be able to abide by you rather than by the wisdom of this world. Would you help us to love you more? Would you help us to seek you? Would you be with us throughout this day? We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So as mentioned, uh, we've come to the end of the letter to the Corinthians, and in this final section, Paul is sharing uh, some of the plans that are to come, along with some instructions and a few uh, personal greetings uh, with a few different people as well. I think I'm hearing a bit of an echo. I'm not sure if everyone else is getting that as well. Um, the first instruction that he gives, it has to do with a collection that's being made uh, to the saints in Jerusalem. Okay? And saints referring to the Christian believers. Okay? I know that when we say saints these days, uh, that it might... Uh, bring to mind a few different things, especially if you come from a Catholic background, you might be thinking um, that this is referring to some special people, but no, this is talking about Christian believers. Um, actually, the uh, KM pastors here at Sezun, uh, they tend to refer to their congregants as saints, and I thought that was kind of nice. They use the Korean word 
if you know it, uh, Songdo, uh, which means saints, I believe. Or at least that's what Google Translate tells me. Um, some of the guys who speak better Korean than me are smiling slightly, so I'm not sure if Google Translate was super uh, correct there. But let me read for you 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 to 4. Now, about the collection for the saints, do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. On the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he is prospering, so that no collections will need to be made when I come. When I arrive, I will send with letters those you recommend to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it is suitable for me to go as well, they will travel with me. And we've done this fairly recently here at New Life as well. We've taken up collections uh, for the disaster relief in Syria and Turkey. Uh, We've also given very recently, just as recently as last week, uh, to our missionaries, our visiting missionaries, Martin and Deborah. And Paul is talking about giving a financial gift to the Christians in Jerusalem. Why? Why is he talking about this? What's the occasion? For whatever reason, the Jerusalem Christians, they seem to have fairly consistent financial issues. Some of us might really relate to this. Uh, I believe some of the more specific reasons, though, will be shared in life groups, but all you need to know right now is that they constantly seem to have these financial issues. So a lot of leaders in this church, and not just Paul, encourage monetary gifts to help to support uh, the Jerusalem church. Now keep in mind that the church was born in Jerusalem. You know, all of these churches that we're talking about right now, they've come from the mother church in Jerusalem, uh, from the missionaries that have come, including the Corinthian church. And so now, if the churches are taking up a collection in order to aid the Christians in Jerusalem, what's it becoming? It's becoming a great symbol of unity for everyone involved. Everyone that's giving to this church is united in this goal. And not only is there unity in this simple act of giving, but there's also unity in the source itself because these people that Paul is writing to in Corinth, they're mostly Gentile Christians. And this financial gift is being given to believers in Jerusalem who are mostly Jewish Christians. And so this financial gift is an even greater unifying gift for the church where there had previously been dividing lines across races. There had been division before, but now there's unity through this gift. It'd be like if our mother church, Sezun, was in deep financial crisis. And we were taking up collections here at New Life, and other churches in the area decided to join in and said, you know what, we've received a little bit from Sezun as well. Let's give in support of Sezun. And it would bring all of those churches closer together in unity, all together. Now, quite often in the modern day, the opposite is quite true. Uh, We can often think about our faith in a bit of a vacuum, We sometimes even get really territorial about our churches, sometimes not even with churches that are far away, sometimes not even with churches that are in other denominations, but sometimes we even get this with our mother church, Sezun, who shares the building with us, or rather they share the building rent-free with us. We even get territorial with them, but why is that the case? Whatever it is, Paul is constantly widening the Corinthian vision for what it means to be the church. And we need this as well. Throughout 1 Corinthians, in 4.17, he talked about what he teaches everywhere in every church. It's not just this church in Corinth. It's everywhere that he teaches. In 7.17, he talks about the command he gives in context to all the churches. In 11.16, he underlines the instruction that he gives by pointing out that we have no other custom nor do the churches of God. Every church comes into 
this collection together, this unity together. All the churches are part of the body of Christ. They're the church, capital C, made of many churches everywhere, lowercase c. And as we think more and more broadly, when we cast our vision forward to the resurrection that's to come, as we talked about all throughout this section of 1 Corinthians, let's be clear. We're all going to be worshiping together, not just with new life. When we cast our vision forward to the resurrection to come, we're going to be worshiping alongside a lot of different people, not just with new life, not just with Korean churches, not just with Presbyterians, but all across these dividing lines. So even now, as we look forward to that day, we can live with that mindset that all Christians everywhere, they're my brother, they're my sister. And as family members, we should care for them. Now, Paul is very specific about how to do the collection. On the Sunday when they gather together, he says, everyone gives. Everyone gives. With those that made more money expected to give more money, rather than those who made less money, they're expected to give in proportion to whatever they made. Whether the money was made through normal work or through receiving alms or charity, The expectation is there. You give. Whatever the case, it's clear that giving is a crucial and an important part of Christian worship. This speaks to the fact that Christianity is not just for Sundays. This makes things clear for us because whatever money was made from Monday to Saturday gets brought into the Sunday service, gets made into part of the worship service, it's brought into the gathering of the church. I've heard some pastors explain that when you get a raise or a promotion at your job, the church does too. It's a little bit of a crude and a simplistic way to think about it, but it is true in keeping with Paul and what he's instructing here. It's a good act of discipline for us as well. Our actions remind our hearts. They're inward focused. Our actions are actually doing something, sending something outward so that we're not so inward focused. It reminds us everything is provided by God. It's to him that it all belongs. It's to him that we're thankful. And so we're teaching our hearts by our actions. And Paul, after this, he goes into his itinerary. He talks about the way he's planning to take to come visit Corinth, what he's going to do when he gets there, and everything in between as well. He talks about his travel plans. Read with me verses 5 to 9. I will come to you after I pass through Macedonia, For I will be traveling through Macedonia, and perhaps I will remain with you or even spend the winter, so that you may send me on my way wherever I go. I don't want to see you now just in passing, since I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord allows, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, because a wide door for effective ministry has opened for me, yet many oppose me. So Paul's plan is to leave Ephesus and pass through Macedonia as he, as he makes his way to Corinth. And you can see that on the map, what kind of travel this will entail. It's a lot. There's a lot going on. It's not easy by any means, and Paul seemed to be planning a pretty big trip through Macedonia in order to preach the gospel in Macedonia as well. The Corinthians, they might have been hoping that Paul will not make that detour, that he'll just make a direct trip over Okay, not take Jetstar all the way around, but take something that takes him all the way through this sea, take a direct boat over to, uh, from Ephesus. That's the green line in the other direction. I don't know if you can see that. 
Paul was clear, though, he had a priority for the ministry in Ephesus until Pentecost. And then the plan was to head through Macedonia. And you might think, man, he really doesn't want to spend time with these Corinthians. He really doesn't want to get there that early. But don't get him wrong. We might think that this type of delay means that he doesn't really want to visit them, or maybe that he doesn't care for them, but look at the language that he's using here. I will come to you after I pass through Macedonia, for I will be traveling through Macedonia, and perhaps I will remain with you or even spend the winter there. He's going to pass through, he's going to just pass through Macedonia. Whereas with the Corinthians, he wants to not just see them in passing. These are the words that he's using. He hopes to spend some time with them, maybe even remain with them or spend the entire winter with them. What do you think if you have a visitor coming to your house and they say, I hope that I get to spend the entire winter with you. And they clearly care about you, maybe more than you care about them, and they really want to spend time with you. It's clear from what we read that Paul loves the Corinthians, that his plan is to be with them, and yet he knows that plans don't always go the way that we want. And so he says this is just his hope and only if the Lord allows. Now this desire of Paul's to want to stay with the Corinthians, when we read this, what do you think is going on in his heart and in his mind? When he says, I want to stay with you, what do you think is going on up here? What do you think is going on in here? Because thinking about the rest of the letter to the Corinthians, what I think is the church is definitely in need of a very long visit from a well-established Christian leader. This church is messed up. Like, there's some horrible stuff happening. You only need to look back at the one in body section of our First Corinthians series, even if you just read a very discreet section of that. I don't want to be at this church. There's too much weird stuff happening. Like, sin is sin, but this is too weird. But maybe Paul is thinking that this would help them to solidify their faith, to receive Christian values instead of being overwhelmed by the values of the culture around them. For me, when I think about where we're at, like New Life, not, not Corinth, but where we're at, coming out of the First Corinthians series, when we're talking through the theology of resurrection, if you've been with us the last few months, when we're looking ahead to Wintercon, if you're going to be with us for the next few months, you heard last week, I'm going on leave for a few weeks, a part of me doesn't want to go on leave at this time. I want to think about this, because I want to stay and solidify some of the teaching that's been happening. I want to challenge the cultural norms that exist, and I want to hopefully live out in prayer, Bible reading, the love for the Lord that we need here at New Life. But just as much, I want to be around because it helps my Christian faith as well. It's not just about me teaching or directing or commanding or any of this stuff, but it helps me too. When I see your faith grow, my faith grows. When I see your desire to pray, to seek the Lord, I'm there too. As many of you have provided in different ways for my family and me, whether in terms of hospitality, gifts, prayer, whatever it might be, I've received blessing and encouragement in our shared faith, and it spurs me on to keep running. Paul wants to spend more time with the Corinthians because he is also receiving from them. 
the apostle that he is, the great Christian leader that he is, the person who wrote so much of the New Testament, he's receiving from the Corinthians. And we can see it in the way that he talks about being sent in verse 6, wherever he may go on his next missionary journey. Now, being sent is not just seeing him off at the port and waving goodbye. Okay, like it's not like when you visit someone at the airport and you say, all right, see you later. It's sending him off with hospitality all the way, basically giving him provisions for the journey ahead. It's a long trip, giving him food, giving him supplies, giving to his needs, maybe even going with him. This is what it means to send. And when we talk about missions here at New Life, when we talk about evangelism here at New Life, we're not just sending witness as though they're the evangelism team or they're the missions team. We're not just sending them. We go with them. We provide for them. We do everything we can to be there with them. So the plans that he's making include his hope that the Corinthians put their Christian faith into loving action and they help Paul too. His plans include someone else providing for him. It's a little bit presumptuous, but I guess that's the Christian faith. It's a two-way street. Now, this might be the hope for his own visit. He has, you know, phenomenal positivity. Like, when you're writing to a church like Corinth, to believe that all of this is going to happen, very optimistic. But Paul seems more concerned about Timothy's potential visit. And you see this in verses 10 to 11. If Timothy comes, see that he has nothing to fear while with you, because he is doing the Lord's work just as I am. So let no one look down on him. Send him on his way in peace so that he can come to me, because I'm expecting him with the brothers. Imagine I felt this way on my way out the door going on leave. New life, see that our guest preachers have nothing to fear while with you. Who... <laughs> Why? Let no one look down on our ministry directors while I'm gone. Like, can you imagine if I'm thinking this way? Remember, this is the church that Paul is writing to. He's not writing to non-Christians saying, you know, please don't make Timothy fearful. But he seems still concerned for Timothy's treatment. Why? Now we know from the rest of the letter that the Corinthians, they're treating members of their own church shamefully. We've seen this throughout this series. We saw this in the one in heart section of our series, specifically chapters 8 to 11. It's also possible that not only this, but Timothy is going to rebuke the Corinthians the same way that Paul has already in this letter. And maybe he fears that they're going to attack him or treat him poorly, spit on him, whatever it might be, because of the rebuke. Whatever the case, Paul makes it clear He doesn't agree with the way that the Corinthians differentiate between different Christian leaders. It doesn't make sense. He sees no difference between Timothy's ministry and his own since they both carry out the work of the Lord. As a final reminder and an exhortation, Paul calls on the Corinthians to be alert, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, Be strong. It's almost like a call to battle. And do everything in love. 
In many ways, it is a call to battle, though. Because the Corinthians, they needed to be alert to stand firm since they were constantly being influenced by the culture around them, much the same as we are. When you're not standing firm, when you're not aware of what's happening, what happens? You just drift along. You get shaped by the world around you. They needed to be strong and courageous so that they don't show favoritism or treat others that they thought of as lower than them differently. To have a Christian sexual ethic, to be different morally instead of being transformed by the corrupting influences of the culture around them, the sexual immorality that surrounds them, the greed, the idolatry, and saying, hey, everyone else is doing it. Why not me too? What we read from this for ourselves is that for us, in the modern day, we Christians are never free from the things that vie for our attention. They're always going to be there, calling for you. And unless we're being alert and standing firm in faith, being courageous and strong, we're in danger of letting go of our full commitment to Christ. And we give ourselves over to the lesser loves in our lives. So how can we do this? How can we stand firm? Do everything in love. This is what Paul says. And this is the centerpiece of the letter. It's been a constant and consistent emphasis all throughout. It's like when you see a movie or listen to a concert and you hear this musical motif that just keeps going on in the background. And then eventually, it grows into a crescendo. And it takes all of your attention And it does this in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. Do everything in love. He calls it back to this. We give glory to God as we love him and as we love one another. We glorify him when we put the needs of others before our own in love. We glorify Jesus by loving sacrificially. It not only strengthens the church, but it testifies to the world around us that our values are shaped by the cross, not by culture, and that God has breathed new life into our death to this world, so we're headed towards complete renewal in the resurrection to come. And then finally, Paul goes into his final greetings here, verses 19 to 21. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla send you greetings warmly in the Lord, along with the church that meets in their home. All the brothers and sisters send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. This greeting is in my own hand, Paul. Now, Aquila and Priscilla, they might be familiar to you because they're known to us from Acts 18. They had met Paul in Corinth itself. Priscilla was one of the more important leaders in Corinth uh, before they joined Paul on a journey to Syria. And so Priscilla and Aquila helped to teach Apollos as well, who seems to be one of the Christian leaders that uh, the Corinthians revere for whatever reason. The church that meets in their home also send warm greetings along with the churches of Asia and all of the brothers and sisters we read. And Paul's talking about some real key leaders in other churches. He's calling their attention to this, and all of these warm greetings, once again, bring to us this message of unity. It's all about unity in the church body from the days of the Corinthians to now. He tells the Corinthians to greet one another with a holy kiss, 
with purity and love for one another rather than all this sexuality and sexualizing that they've been doing all this time. He wants to be symbolic of friendship and unity, not romance. He talks about reconciliation and peace through this, through this holy kiss between those of different social statuses, those of different races. He's bringing them all together. For us at New Life, our context is probably very far from doing a kiss of peace. Like, I'm glad that Jason didn't go there with the fellowship time. Like, turn to the person next to you and give them a, a holy kiss. Where will we even start? Some of you might actually do it. That's the scary part, right? We have our fellowship times, though, here on Sundays for a reason. The hope is that we bridge any social gaps that exist. When we do this, we want to make sure that there's no more social gaps, whether it's age or life stage, race, whatever it might be between anyone in the church and ourselves. If you have a past with someone, hopefully in this fellowship time, it's not just about meeting a new face or letting yourself be known to someone, but it's about reconciling with that person. Peacemaking. Now, all of this stuff in chapter uh, 16, it might seem like a bit of a mishmash of different instructions. There's a lot going on here. We might peek ahead to 2 Corinthians to see, hey, how'd the Corinthians go? Did they go okay? No, they didn't, okay? But to see how the church in, in Corinth went, you know, Paul wrote all of this out, though, in absolute hope and faith. Even though I think he's probably a very intelligent, empathetic person, and he knows it might not go that well. But the reality is, for him to write something like 1 Corinthians 16, he knows that it's fully dependent on whether or not the Corinthians receive 1 to 15 well. And there's some hard instruction there, there's rebuke, there's constant teaching about what, where they've gone wrong. He needs them to receive this well and to accept his argument because if they reject it, if they continue on, they're going to be continuing on in sexual immorality, in idolatry. They're going to be trusting in the culture around them rather than in scripture, in the Holy Spirit, in holy living. What would he expect then from, verse, from chapter 16 when he instructs them, take up a collection for these believers in Jerusalem? If they didn't receive it well, why would they bother? Much rather spend on yourself, spend on these prostitutes that they're already spending on. How would the visits from Paul and Timothy and Apollos go if they decided, nah, I don't need to hear this, 1 to 15. I'll just have a laugh. How would these visits go? They might be chased out of town. As I get ready to go and leave from New Life, as I mentioned before, I want us to continue in the momentum of faith that we have from this Corinthian series, from talking about resurrection. And to be honest, the control part of me, this is a sinful part of me, it wants to stay and ensure that the right things get preached. Well, we have an array of great preachers coming, but I still don't know fully what are they gonna preach? What if they, you know, a part of me, the sinful side is like, what if they preach something weird? What if I have to do all this cleanup? It's so much work when I get back. 
And then we're heading towards WinterCon, and I want us to grow in prayer and love for Jesus. And there's that simple part of me again. I want to tell people, you need to come. You need to come to Friday night prayer. You need to pray with me. We got to make sure we grow in this prayer together. We got to make sure we grow in this love together. But New Life, we both know that God's plan is greater. That His ways are higher than mine. His thoughts are inscrutable to you. Whatever plans we might have, these are plans that might depend on how well you've received the teaching already, everything that we've been through already. Otherwise, maybe our giving would collapse. Maybe the collection for the missionaries will be empty. Or our prayer lives would just be a disaster. But our plans ultimately depend on us trusting and relying on God's grace. I think today, it's a really great way for us to declare this trust and this reliance on God's grace by doing this in the communion. When we participate in the communion together, we remember that we're reliant on God's grace through Jesus on the cross. It's not just an act that we just do every month. It doesn't become just rote learning, but it's something that we do to demonstrate that we rely on him. He died in our place so that we could be forgiven of our sins. It's also a present-day declaration for us that we continue to depend on God's grace. We seek, to, we seek Him to renew grace in our hearts, in our lives. And what better way for us to wrap up our section on being one in resurrection than to turn to Him now to take communion and look to our future hope in the resurrection to come. When Jesus will return and will be raised Now here at New Life, we celebrate and participate together in the communion on the first Sunday of each month. Hear the reading of scripture from chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now this invitation that the Lord Jesus gives us, it's a reminder that it's by his virtue, it's by virtue of who he is and what he did that we approach the table. We don't have any right on our own. We're under his righteousness, not our own. But that also means that we're under his righteousness and not our own unrighteousness. So whether today is the first time that you're taking communion ever, or whether you've been away for a while and you're unsure, we would love for you to be welcomed, to feel welcomed, to place your faith in Jesus, to receive the communion with us, and let us know at the, uh, the conclusion of the service so that we can follow up with you as well. I'm going to invite New Life's ministry directors up. Uh, They're going to be at the front of each aisle. We're also going to have one person kind of roaming from place to place, serving the volunteers that are joining me on stage uh, in the multimedia room, children's ministry, and also the parents in the parents' room. I believe the one that's roaming is going to have a gluten-free option. And so you can uh, receive the gluten-free communion if you have allergies as well.
Now please come forward as soon as you're ready to receive the communion, but take it back to your seats and wait for everyone to be served so that we can take it together.